You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. Labor's rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio. And it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the Good morning, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. I'm by myself today. Uh, David is off doing that union work that we talk so much about that he doesn't get paid for, so I'm wishing my brother safe travels this morning. It is Saturday, October 3rd, and we're broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, October 4th, 2020, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama. Today, we're having our very first repeat guest on the show. John Meredith joins us in the studio to talk about his candidacy for Huntsville City Council District 5. The runoff election is on Tuesday. If you have questions for him, then feel free to give us a call at 1-866-494-9866 or tweet us at Labor Reporters. Before that, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We appreciate your time today. Uh, If you want to see what we're up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then uh, you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A-L. David is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That is spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for The Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. Uh, You can go back and watch the full show there, and we also clip segments throughout the week. Uh, And we also upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So uh, you can see if we are on your listening platform of choice, go to thevalleylaborreport.transistor.fm slash subscribe. And if you appreciate our work and want to help us stay on the air, then consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. John, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I did not know I was the first repeat guest, and I'm just honored uh, to hold that that distinction. Yeah, yeah. It's been, yeah, we've been on the air for more than, uh, oh, man. More than four months going on five months, and we haven't had any repeat guests yet, so you're the first one. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. It's always a pleasure to be here. Good deal, good deal. So, um, 
one of the, the, the thing that you kind of centered in our, in our last discussion um, was your, your big thing in this campaign is kind of the quality of life for um, citizens in Huntsville City Council District 5. Uh, you talked about some of the zoning issues with Limestone in Madison County and, and uh, the 911 calls. And um, if you could kind of just give us an over, just, just a real quick overview of the situation, again, for listeners that may not have heard that first interview, if you haven't, you can always go back and search uh, John Meredith on our, our YouTube page. Uh, you can go back and find that interview there. But um, uh, just give us a short overview of the situation there. And then, and then a question that I had about that is, um, why do you think it is that nothing has happened on those issues yet? You know, presumably Culver is aware of these issues. Presumably this is something that gets brought up to him a lot when he talks to constituents. These sound like really kind of when you talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like these are pretty base level things. Like, why have they not been fixed? For lack of political will. Um, If the council person in District 5 made those issues a priority, they would be a priority. Um, The Limestone County water issue is certainly one that should have moved since I ran against him in 2016. That was an issue that uh, was raised and I brought to everyone's attention. Uh, And uh, Mr. Culver, uh, through the use of the Huntsville City Council city attorney at the time, Uh, got a a meeting uh, with the Limestone County uh, supervisor uh, to talk about Limestone County uh, residential water service delivery. I would guarantee you that he has not had a single meeting since. And I mean, you can check on that. Uh, The viewers or the listeners rather can check on that. I doubt seriously if there has ever been another meeting. And that is because the priorities of Mr. Culver are not reflective of the larger community. Another example is uh, Zert Road. Um, his entire 12-year tenure, we have been trying to get three miles of Zert Road paved. It is still not a completed project. He told us in 2016 it would be completed in 20, uh, 2020. I'm sorry, in 2018. It is now 2020. Road still not finished. They put in a road over a mountain, Cecil Ashburn, in less time than it has taken to, to do four, three miles of flat dirt road. That is because it's not a priority of the councilman. Hmm. If the councilman said, hey, I'm going to start holding things up until you fix this street, our street would be fixed. He's not willing to do that. And, right. you know, you hear him speak at town halls and other things, and he's talking about the issue uh, of uh, the number of downtown hotel rooms. Well, when you're going over a road in your neighborhood that needs to be resurfaced, you don't care about the number of downtown hotel rooms. Right. When you have people that come visit you and your relatives, they're staying in hotels close to your home. They're not in downtown hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. And these are the, uh, the disjointedness of the priorities of our current councilmen versus those of the district. And it's not just a west versus north. Folks in the north are being just as ignored as right. folks in the west. Universally, the biggest issue constituents have is a lack of accessibility. He won't return a phone call. He won't return an email. He won't address your issues. He won't provide you an opportunity as a constituent to voice your opinion and what you think about an issue. I will change that. I'll be in City Hall three days a week. If by chance you send me an email and it falls through the cracks and I don't return it, 
Come down to City Hall and yell at me about it. Say, hey, right. man, I sent you an email. How come you didn't return it? I'm going to be accessible. I'm going to be transparent. Um, the city council uh, wage increase caught constituents totally by surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, this road surfacing money that he wanted to give away uh, caught constituents totally by surprise. When Pam Hill had to resign because of health concerns, she was the District 5 school board member. Will Colbert seemed to have not cared less about her being replaced. That fell on Francis Akerich and Devin Keith mm. to replace the District 5 school board member. Now, he's running on a platform of being all about education. Right. Well, how can you sit back and not play any role in replacing the district school board rep if you care about education? Right. Those are some of the, uh, the most tangible differences between me and the incumbent. Right, right. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, was, I was riding with my, uh, with my father one day, and we were going out to lunch, and I, I drove past uh, one of his big signs on Jordan Lane that said, um, and I just started laughing out loud. My dad didn't get it, of course, but it, it said, um, you know, Will Culver, a quiet force for good, maybe I can't, but a quiet force, I remember that. Yes. <laughs> what do you think, what do you think about his like campaign slogan there? He's like really leaning into the fact that nobody knows that he's doing anything. <laughs> I, you know, it, it, that I appreciate the opportunity, the softball for <laughs> a very, uh, poignant quip or, or, or attack on Mr. Culver. But I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> okay, I'm going to okay. let the audience go okay. with that. But I will say, if you believe <laughs> that as a constituent of District 5, you want a f- quiet representative, that's your guy. Uh, right. If you want somebody that's going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that District 5 gets its, quote, fair share mm-hmm. of things, and that District 5 in less than four years can every neighborhood in District 5 can see a tangible increase in their standard of living or their quality of life more specifically I'm your guy right. That's I'm going to be the bull in the china shop when it comes to bringing home the bacon for back in letter ter- lack of better term for District 5 residents Right. there will be no quiet storm with me I'm going to be a loud and boisterous uh, presence and you know, I think that's a, that's a lot of um, you know that's what a lot of folks want, and a lot of the uh, listeners uh, of this station, you know, a lot of the listeners of this station are, are are Trump voters, and that is what they always said that they wanted, right? They always said that they wanted a um, you know they wanted a bull in a china shop, and that's why they voted for Trump, and because he was going to shake things up, and you know, whether or not he actually does that is another question that I'll leave for another day, but. Uh, you know, that's something to consider, uh, definitely. Um, it, 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 I'll, I'll chime in. You know, it, it's funny. Uh, I had an affiliation with the GOP, as many know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's funny that uh, I'm no longer in that party <laughs> because of their willingness to follow one bull versus another. Right. Uh, <laughs> me, as a bull, I believe firmly uh, that I've stood firm on my principles. Mm-hmm. Um that nothing has changed. Uh, when I oppose the uh, unattended minor uh, policies under Obama, Republicans love me. Mm-hmm. When I spoke out against family separation, putting those kids in cages under Trump, I became this, this anathema to the party. But I was standing firm on the same principle. If right. it is bad for President Obama 
to deal with unaccompanied minors that way, well, it's even worse when the Republicans rip families apart to treat those minors the same way and worse. And if Republicans can't see the uh, uh, ambiguity in their position, I'm sorry, but as that mm. bull who's standing on moral principles, if you don't treat children and asylum seekers that way, um, I'm sorry. Right. Uh, asylum seeking is international law. The fact that Donald Trump doesn't want to accept that international law does not make what he's doing right. Right. Um, you know, I, I, uh, uh, you mentioned your affiliation with the Republican Party, and, and my understanding is that uh, District 5 is a, a majority-minority district. Is that correct? Yes, uh, but the demographics are changing, and one could basically make the argument that it is quickly uh, turning blue. Um, okay. uh, but and, and if if you rearrange the district like many would like to see, we'd like to see uh, the city council move from five to seven. Um, mm -hmm. Some of those uh, unique issues will not necessarily be unique amongst the newly drawn district, but they're they're major distinctions now between what is the entire fifth district. Um, mm -hmm. You take North Huntsville, and it is overwhelmingly Democratic, overwhelmingly minority, mm -hmm. although it is not all black or Hispanic. Right. It, there are plenty of white people that live there as well. Right. Um, the West tends to have started out more, we'll say, white, um, but they're through all sorts of uh, uh, things, including the BRAC. It is growing uh, in leaps and bounds, and pretty much every neighborhood, at least that I'm aware of out there, is mixed. Uh, mixed, not just black and white, but Hispanic, Asian. Um, in my community, there's everything possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, religious uh, differences as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, we are that melting pot out there. But yeah, you're, I think you're right, but that gap is, is the, the demographics are quickly changing in what sure. is the fifth district. And, and the, the, well, the reason that I asked about this, and we're coming up on a break, and so um, I'll, I'm going to pose the question now, and, and we'll answer it on the other side, but the, the reason that I, I, I mentioned that is because, um, you know, uh, like everybody knows, most people in the black community are Democrats, and they have a very, uh, you know, they are very distrustful of mm -hmm. Republicans, and with good reason. Yes. <laughs> um, and so on the other side of the break, I want you to kind of talk to, you know, there, there are undoubtedly people in your community that are like, they don't, they're like, why did it take him so long to get out of the Republican Party? Why did he not see what we saw? Like, why should they trust you as a former Republican and cast their vote for you when they have seen Republicans and Democrats, but definitely Republicans beating down on them for so long? You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time, but the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtandj.com. 
No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. All workers deserve fair wages, affordable health care, and a retirement plan that enables them to retire with dignity. All workers deserve to have a say about the terms and conditions of their employment, not just the bosses. With the machinist unions over 600,000 members having our back, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama has been serving workers' interests for over 20 years. Our members have the best health insurance in the area with zero deductible plans. We set the bar for pay in the area with over $40 an hour rates, consistently averaging the highest non-college degree jobs in North Alabama with some of the best retirement plans in the industry. We can do the same for you. Together, we remain united, raising our voices to ensure justice on the job and service in the community. The Machinist Union is a true Southern Union founded in Atlanta in 1888. We've been serving members' needs for 132 years. The longevity of our union proves our dedication and loyalty to the working class. The Machinist Union isn't just for machinists. We represent workers in government, healthcare, auto workers, aerospace workers, transportation workers, the defense industry, and woodworking. Our members even build the iconic Harley-Davidson motorcycles. If you're ready to get serious about better benefits and wages, if you want to have a voice in your workplace with over 600,000 members to back you up, call or email us today at 256-286-3704 or organize at iamaw44.org. Here in Huntsville, federal employees are an invaluable part of the nation's defense, offering unmatched expertise in engineering and technology and as stewards of taxpayer dollars. What we ask for in return is to be treated with fairness, dignity, and respect. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE Local 1858, is a union of working people looking out for each other, making sure that we're treated right. To inquire about joining or to learn more, call 256-876-4880. Hey y'all, are you tired of hearing that the South is just a bunch of racist rednecks? Well, tune in to Dixieland of the Proletariat podcast. We talk about Southern working class history and current events through a leftist perspective. Join Nelson, Senior Telecommunications Director Tommy, Comrade Kate, former pig farmer Tyler, and Brother William, wherever you stream your podcast. And good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We'll see y'all next time. It's Dixieland of the Proletariat, y'all. WVNN. Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. I am in the studio with John Meredith. He is running for Huntsville City Council District 5, and uh, we appreciate his time today. Before the break, uh, before we, w- we went into the break, I posed the question to him, why should his constituents, the people that note, there are people in his district, no doubt, that really distrust the Republican Party. And I don't think I've seen this question posed to you, at least not in this way, and so I thought I would ask it. Uh, you know, like, why, why should people that, that distrust the Republican Party that have seen them harm their communities um like why should they trust that you you know why should they trust you when it took you so long to kind of come out of the republican party not but uh uh you know i can see i could see how that would kind of cause some consternation among some of them so what what would be like if you were talking to one of them like what what would you say i would say that 
I've never, me being a Republican is something that was news to me just like it was to everyone else. I've never lived in a state where I've had to have, uh, declare a party. So I've never been a registered Republican. I've never been part of any Republican structure, no committees, no anything. I got dubbed a Republican by a, a, a newly launching at the time news site, conservative news site called Newsmax that created a list of 100 black influential Republicans. No one ever called me about that article. No one ever asked me if, if, if it was okay to list me, if I considered myself a Republican or anything. They just printed it. I can see how they got there. Right. Um, but um, every, every policy that I worked on in Congress was bipartisan. Hmm. I would sit down uh, when I did guest worker programs for the non-agricultural sector. We sat down with uh, the AFL-CIO and I ironed out a, 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 a proposal that Congress passed without a single vote against it. Uh, that bill was championed by Zoe Lofgren, a Democrat. Um, I raised a lot of money for Zoe Lofkin, a Democrat. If you called her office today, I'm sure even 10, 12 years later, they will remember me. Uh, I work with Nidia Velasquez, the chairman, uh, current chairman, but at the time ranking member of uh, the Small Business Committee, a Democrat from New York. Raised a boatload of money for her, worked for her on a lot of different issues. Um, Democrats have always been within my purview. Hmm. Uh, my father was a conservative. My mother was a card-carrying union member's public school teacher. I have always valued both sides. Hmm. I have always worked on issues where the other side got something as well. And we presented our solution to Congress unified, Democrat and Republican, conservative and liberal. We all work together. I've always been collaborative. Mm. Um, the advantage of rolling as a Republican, if you will, was they're in control. Right. I was able to make sure that the policies, or the, the most important thing anyway, to Democrats showed up in those Republican-authored <coughs> bills. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You, yeah. you can trust me. I'm the same guy. Right. Again, the same guy. It doesn't matter to me if a Democrat has a good policy. I'm going to back it, and I'm going to use those Democrats to get it across the finish line. Mm -hmm. If the Republicans have a good idea, I'm going to go with that, and I'm going to get it across the finish line. Because good policy doesn't have a party. Good mm -hmm. policy means it's going to help the most people, regardless of how they are, and that's what I'm about, helping the most people do better in America. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think that, I think that most, most people would, would understand that, especially um, the thing that you mentioned about rolling with the Republican Party because they're the people that are in power, and so that makes a lot of sense, and I've actually, um, I have in the past kind of kick my, kicked myself because I have in the past so publicly aligned with the Democratic Party. Like I, I thought that it would be, uh, you know, for any uh, enterprising uh, young person out there who has not been particularly public with their political affiliations, you know, maybe you could try this, but I thought that it would be a good idea to maybe, you know, be a Republican publicly, but be like a radical Republican, like the ones, uh, like the abolitionists, or like the ones um, during Andrew Jackson's day. When Andrew Jackson was the Democratic presidential candidate, there was a, um, 
there was a strong cohort of uh like radical Republicans is what they were called and they were like progressive and then some of them were socialists and and uh, they put forward a very uh, a, a very progressive agenda that would have helped a lot of people and uh, you know if you could do that in Alabama that you'd probably make a lot more headway than you would running as a Democrat so you well know. the one thing I'll, I'll say about it uh, to <laughs> really to all but I was gonna say the Democrats uh, that have doubt um, I suspect that at this point in North Alabama, there's no one hated by the Republican Party more than me. So, so, so if if that means anything to you, I, I'm your guy because the Republican Party yeah. has pretty much had it with me standing up for what's right in the era of Trump. Um, I guess I'm the only one in North Alabama that said he was never Trump and actually meant never Trump. Right. It's not never Trump until he gets elected. You know, it's right. it's never right. Trump. You know. Yeah, I, uh, I, if you listen to the station very much, you you would know that. Um, so the uh, the the national politics and even statewide politics to a certain extent, um, we can kind of set aside for yeah. the. Uh, I'll uh, yeah. you know I, I want to take you into a third segment. Is that okay? Yeah, that'd be um, fine. And, but because a lot of that is is almost immaterial. To what is uh, what's going to be happening in in your district? Yes. And so one of the things that um, I know that that a lot of people have asked me about is the general schedule for city employees. Uh, in 2018, the general schedule was cut by, for uh, entry level by more than two percent, and. <clears throat> The steps were cut as well. Uh, there were seven. There are seven steps, and, there, and each step was a five percent raise, and that was taken down to a three percent raise. Um, and colas have only been one percent, which is not an actual cola. Uh, and so, what what has happened with the general schedule is that um, they they removed the uh, or they made the cap higher. But they cut every step along the way, and so in 30 years, you could be making more potentially as a 30-year employee than you could now. But on the way to getting there, you're looking at uh, $45,000 less over a career of service, and a lot of people don't, uh, they don't spend uh, 30 or 40 or 50 years with the city government, with the, the municipal government. They want to you know, have have a, a 25 or 30 year career and then um, and then be able to retire. And so I want to ask you about what your opinions on the general schedule and uh, your opinions on the RSA moving back into, into tier one on the other side of this break. So uh, stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, holding down the fort by myself today. David is on the road doing that good union work, uh, working for the uh, working families of Alabama. Thank you, David. Safe travels. Um, Talking to John Meredith, he is running for Huntsville City Council District 5. The runoff is... 
on Tuesday. We had somebody call in just a second ago, and I I was like wrapping it up, and I you know I couldn't I couldn't answer the phone because I was wrapping it up, running the board by myself. But if you want to call back in. Um, you can do that now, 1-866-494-9866. Uh, but when I left off, I was asking John about the general schedule and how it was cut um, and how uh, that's going to amount to tens of thousands of dollars less for um, city employees. And additionally, I alluded to, and I'll, I'll kind of... Um, I'll expand on that a little bit more. The RSA uh, program, a while back, cities had to, or, or cities went to a tier two system, and the state has recently allowed cities to go back to a tier one system. And, and Huntsville is one of the last holdouts for uh, to move back to the tier one system. And, and the difference is, I mean, really astounding. You're looking at uh, tier two is the average of the highest five years of the last 10 years service, whereas tier one is the average of the last three. There's no sick leave conversion in tier two versus there is in tier one. Um, it takes longer to get your full benefits. There, it uh, The multiplier rate is lower. I mean, like everything about tier two is lower. And Huntsville has refused, one of the last cities in Alabama has refused to go back to tier one because the city is saying the money isn't there, but they've got money for to give tax breaks to corporations so that they can move here and set up shop here, and they've got um, money for this thing and that thing, but they don't have money for their workers. And so can you talk about, would you support going back to the old general schedule and then tying that to inflation so that... Um, Future councils can't cut wages via inaction. That's one of the things that I have found that 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 really like riles me up because the 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 default when you don't have wages set to inflation is that wages are going to be cut. And um, so so would you support going back to the old system where where their wages were higher and tying that to inflation? And uh, would you support going to the RSA uh, tier one? You, I'm drinking through a fire hose now of information uh, that you've just put down. Although I will uh, be honest and share that I've had uh, discussions with the firefighters uh, about this, and I it, it came up uh, earlier this week um, uh, on uh, social media. Mm. Uh, although that was far less uh, explicative of uh, uh, than you. Um, from what I know right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly uh, support that that change back. Mm -hmm. um, I will certainly support city workers at every opportunity uh, that I can. That said, I am undereducated on the issue, and I need to to know what the other side has sure. to say uh, because it, it obviously I think I was about to say I know but I think the reason it was changed was for the city to be more uh, fiscally responsible hmm. now if I know moving back at least I think moving back is going to be is going to have an initial price tag on it mm -hmm. and right now with the COVID and, and city coffers declining may not be the perfect time to take on another financial obligation. Hmm. But once the new normal is established and we know what our budget and we can start predicting the city budget again, I think would be probably a better time to look at that. Hmm. But it's about sustainability. After we take that initial hit, can we sustain 
the levels that we're going to have to match moving forward once we change back. If it's sustainable, I absolutely would, would vote for it. Right. If it isn't sustainable, I would try to find other avenues to augment employee salaries mm. um, to make up for that. It, it's not going to complete the, the gap, but it'll, it'll add something to them to make up for what we couldn't do on, on the retirement side. Okay. Uh, um, so there are, you know, obviously I'm concerned with city employees, but mm-hmm. most of most workers in Huntsville are not city employees. Most workers in Huntsville work in the private sector. And something that we know that happens in the private sector or that I know that happens in the private sector because this is kind of like, this is my bailiwick, uh, labor rights and stuff, um, is that non-compliance with uh, wage and worker protection laws persists at an extremely high level throughout the country. And in fact, wage theft accounts for more in dollars stolen than all property crime combined. Despite this, there are almost no resources devoted to fighting wage theft. We've got, you know, we pay police salaries, we pay investigation units, um, we pay like an investigate investigators to like look into property crime and try to solve property crime and all of these things, and that's good, and we need to do that. But uh, we don't do that for wage theft, and uh, you know, the harms of wage theft obviously extend beyond their immediate victims. They reduce taxable income, they exert downward pressure on the wages of all workers in the affected industries, and law-abiding business owners are also harmed as their competitors unlawfully trim labor costs. So um, what steps, and, and, and wage theft, what that looks like is People doing labor off the clock, being, you know, being t- like, that's just kind of the unspoken thing that, oh, you clock out. And I remember having to do this in a restaurant. You clock out and then you do your side work or uh, you work overtime and they don't pay you time and a half or they put you, you know, there, there are all kinds of ways to get around wage laws uh, that employers use a lot. And so uh, have you put any thought into um, steps that the city could take towards eliminating wage theft or actually putting resources into fighting wage theft and fostering an environment of uh, worker protections throughout Huntsville? To be honest, no. Uh, Wage theft is something I hadn't uh, thought uh, about on a local level. I'm fully aware of what you're talking about. Uh, I've dealt with it on a national level and, and any answer I could provide uh, right now, uh, just as a knee-jerk reaction, would involve the, the Fed and not the, the local government. So mm-hmm. I apologize for that. But uh, that said, I've long-standing uh, p- uh, positions on. I think that uh, servers uh, should be paid minimum wage. The, the, the I think it's still a dollar ninety an hour for servers. I mean, two thirteen. Two thirteen. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know. I mean, um, <laughs> I remember we, getting those zero dollar checks. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I, I mean, things like that I, are lo- more low hanging fruit. And uh, I think a councilman can certainly address some of those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think let's let's work on that low-hanging fruit first. Wage theft, um, frankly, it would need to be, I think, a, a department either within the police force or within uh, city government. Mm-hmm. But if it's done within city government, the best way to do it is to create uh, something new that it's exclusive its mission mm-hmm. um, and I haven't weighed in with anybody that's mm-hmm. currently an office holder about uh, the possibility of that happening 
Right. And, and I think that you're right. I think that's what it would take. And I think that it is a sad commentary on the relative worth of uh, workers that, that, that we don't have. Like, like people just don't think about it. Politicians don't think about it. Well, the bosses think about it and they're glad for the situation that, that we have now. Um, but but like I said, like wage theft accounts for more dollars stolen from people than all property crime combined. And, you know, so this is a huge issue. It takes millions, billions of dollars out of the pockets of working people every year. Um, and so, you know, we I, I'd love to see a, a, a city government that is proactive about fighting for uh, uh, workers to get money that they earned. To be honest, one of the biggest holdups, and I know this is going to upset the business community, and I apologize. I, I have your back too, um, but being a right-to-work state, which is essentially nothing more than a right-to-fire state, um, certainly feeds into wage theft, mm-hmm. because you're not going to tell your employer who has the right to fire you at any turn, right. what do you mean clock out and then do my side work? I'm not mm-hmm. doing that. You can't do right. that. Otherwise, he fires you and you've lost your right. job. Well, uh, now that, I, what you're speaking to there is at-will employment versus right-to-work. Those are two, two different things, and they get confused a lot. Thank um, you, because I'm obviously confused, yes, yes. but yeah. Uh, but, or, or will they get tied in? They get uh, tied, like people think that the, the two things are, are the same thing, and they're, and they're not. At-will employment means that you can be fired at any time for any reason, basically. Right-to-work means that you don't have to, uh, a union cannot bargain for a clause in the contract that says that agency fees must be collected from all employees uh, in a un- in, in, in a in a workplace that's represented by the union so that you can have freeloaders and stuff like that. Ah, um, well, thank you for that explanation. Now, I, I'm good to go now. And, but we're both, had, we are both a right to work. Too. Right. Yeah. We're both a right to work and an at-will employment state. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> double whammy. <laughs> yeah, double whammy. Um, got a couple more, a couple more oh, minutes let, here. While we're talking and, about that, let, let me just say that uh, since the last time coming on this show and your, your discussion about um, um, how the city won't deal with unions and they force you to get a business and then you, mm-hmm. it, it ups the 10%, I will certainly look into that because uh, that's not good for taxpayers. You're, you're inflating everything right. the taxpayer pays by 10%, and that's not good. That, right. that could go to the retirement system. I mean, yeah. that. And I did mention that. Um, I, I couldn't believe that the city of Huntsville didn't have to follow OSHA requirements. And I looked into that since then, and that is actually true. City and uh, municipal and state governments are exempt from OSHA, and so they don't have to, and Huntsville does not follow OSHA. Mm. Uh, so that, but with the, the last uh, 30 seconds here, this is a pretty quick question. Yes. Huntsville has a larger racial disparity for enforcement of marijuana prohibition than mm. any other city in Alabama. Would you support measures to effectively decriminalize marijuana within the city of Huntsville? I would be on board for that. I could not champion that. Um, uh, it, it, you know, it gets complicated, as you well know. Uh, but I think right now that the penalties for it are just out of whack. Um, and for folks' uh, future lives to be uh, so negatively impacted, uh, frankly, over mm-hmm. very, very small amounts, uh, let alone yeah. the racial disparity. I would vote for it, but I, I would leave that up to someone else to champion that cause. Okay. I've got too many other tangibles right, to right. deliver. Right. I'll say I don't think it, that it's complicated. I think that it's pretty simple, but we'll leave it there. Uh, John Meredith, where can people find you? I can be found uh, on the World Wide Web at votejohnmeredith.com. I can be found on Facebook at John Meredith for Huntsville City Council. And Thank again, please uh, be sure to vote on Tuesday, October the 6th. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report wow. with David Story and Jacob Morrison. 
at it up. You got the principle, take rig at it up. You got the fire, sasha at it up. You got the principle, take rig at it up. You got the fire. You got the Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is. Jacob Morrison, we are, uh, I'm, I was about to say we're here with my co-host David Story, but we are not, uh, David is off, uh, he's got a district meeting for his union, um, working for the working people of Alabama, not getting paid for it, we appreciate, uh, we appreciate David's efforts, um, David's efforts working for us, it, it really means a lot, so wishing him safe travels this morning, uh, as he, as he goes and does the Lord's work, um, so on the line right now, uh, we have Jack Jacobs. Jack, uh, Jack Jacobs called in. He is an attorney for the United Mine Workers and, uh, District. Uh, I'm not sure what, I, I can't remember the district number, but it, it, it's for United Mine Workers in Alabama. <clears throat> and he called in because <laughs> there's a story about a West Virginia mine executive um, taking advantage of benefits that he fought against as an executive of a, of a coal mining company. So he wanted to bring Jack on the line today because he knows he's, uh, you know, this is like, this is his, this is his bailiwick. I talked about my bailiwick earlier. This is his bailiwick is mine workers and their benefits and, um, and, and stuff like that. So uh, we've got him on the line and let me see if I can figure out how to bring him on the air. Uh, Jack, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, all right. Good deal. We've got you on the air. Uh, so, Jack, can you talk to us about what these benefits are that Robert Murray uh, is the name of this executive? Uh, can you tell us about the benefits that he is um, that he's looking to take advantage of, uh, what, what exactly they are, and, and how they were won? Right. This is a, a federal workers' compensation program that dates back to the early 1970s. Uh, provides benefits for coal miners who are disabled due to black lung disease. Uh, benefits in terms of uh, cash payments and in medical benefits as well. Okay. So, do you, Do you know what they uh, what they look like exactly? Like how how much it is? I heard that it was it, it, or I thought that I read that it was actually a pretty low. Uh, pretty low payment, but uh, I, I can't remember for sure. Right. The interesting thing, it's tied to the GS2 federal uh, wage scale. Hmm. So a coal miner, uh, he gets benefits for himself. It's about $680 a month. And then if he has a spouse, or she, I guess, has a spouse, then that would go to about $1,050 a month. Wow. It's tied to the GS2 in the federal? Yes. Wow, that is that is wild. The entry level, entry level for those who don't know, entry level positions in Huntsville start at GS five. So that's um, that's pretty wild that that those benefits start at a at a GS two. Um, how did they how did they come about? You know, presumably this happened because of union advocacy. But do you know kind of more of the uh, a little bit a little bit more detailed history of of uh, these benefits coming about? Right. It started, I think, movement in the 1960s with a lot of mining accidents and miners getting sick to try and, you know, fix some of those things. Uh, we see the Mine Safety Act coming into place uh, in 1970. 
and these benefits as well for the miners to, to, to try and provide benefits for these miners once they become disabled due to black lung. Um, and then at the same time, in the 70s, they were also trying to reduce dust. Um, so hopefully the miners wouldn't get black lung as well. Right, right. And that came, and, and like we mentioned, that came about because of uh, union advocacy. They had people lobbying Congress. They were going out on strikes. Um I don't know exactly how much this uh, this document this strike in the the strike in Harlan County in 1976 played into that, but there is a, a really powerful documentary that you can find on YouTube uh, called Harlan County USA that ta- that detailed a, a mine worker strike in uh, in uh, Harlan County's in uh, West Virginia, right? Uh, Harlan County is in Kentucky. In Kentucky, okay. Yeah, th- so this was a mine worker strike in Kentucky in Harlan County, um, and, and I, I remember watching that, and that, that, was, a, that was a really powerful um, a powerful documentary. Uh, so, you know, I'd recommend people check that out. And, um, <clears throat> and so what's interesting about this situation with Robert Murray, he's the CEO of a coal mining company, and now he's taking advantage of these um, really almost kind of uh, piddling benefits uh, that that mine workers are afforded. Um, the the ironic thing is that he fought against the uh, he fought against at any time mine workers trying to get better benefits, better working conditions, um, uh, more safety on the job. He was on the front lines against these protections, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. He's you know fought against. Uh, mine safety, uh, even after the uh, Crandall uh, mine disaster in Utah, and he fought against regulations after that. Um, you know, he's fought against increased dust regulations in the mines, and he's also very anti-union. <laughs> so, right. uh, hasn't hasn't been there for the for the miners, that's for sure. Do you think that he'll be able to? Do you think that his uh, his claim will be? Um, do you think that he's going to be able to actually take advantage of these benefits? Uh, I. I I don't know. I mean, part of the thing is, I understand he's still working. Um, just as a practical point, you have to be disabled from your last coal mining job. Um, I mean, you can, I guess, can technically qualify. Uh, you may not get any money if you're still employed, though. So mm. um, that's, you know, one question in my mind. Uh, it sounds like he's got some pretty serious loan problems, uh, no doubt. Um, so from that standpoint, he, he, be, he may very well qualify under the act. Okay. And that's, I mean, it's amazing thinking about the fact that he could be so disabled, and he, and he very well could be so disabled from just the supervision, the supervision that he did um, in the mines. I mean, imagine, like, imagine how many more workers are in worse positions than him, the people who are actually doing the work. You know, this is a CEO. This wasn't even like a middle manager type of person. This is an executive. Uh, they, they're not down in the mines all the time. Uh, you know, I think the fact that the fact that he could have black lung or, 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 or whatever it is that uh, is his specific problem, the fact that he could have that problem uh, really underscores how just how dangerous mine work is and how important it is for these workers to have um, to have advocacy, to have a union, to have a voice on the job and, uh, and stuff like that. Just to clarify, I, you know, Bob did start working in the coal mines at a very young age. So he actually has quite a bit of history of himself working underground. 
before rising to uh, management. Mm. Um, so I, he probably has a fair exposure history um, and probably in some pretty, pretty harsh conditions, if I had to guess. Okay. Okay. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. So thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that correction. Um, <clears throat> so uh, um, while, while we've got you on the line, um, could you just talk, talk to us a little bit about kind of uh, uh, some of what you do um, here in Alabama? You, you're a, uh, you represent uh, the United Mine Workers of America. What district is it? That's District 20. District 20. More or less the southeastern U.S., basically uh, Tennessee, North Carolina, south, um, and that, that part of the country. But most of the miners are here in Alabama. Okay, and and so uh, again, your name is Jack Jacobs, and, and full disclosure, uh, Jack Jacobs is a partner of Maples Tucker and Jacobs, and they are a sponsor of this program, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what what it looks like day to day fighting for these uh, fighting for these folks that that are down in the mines and and um, you know having having these sorts of issues? Like what what you know. What are some of the things that you've seen? You know, presumably you've got some like, you know, amazing stories and some really sad stories. And and you know, can can you just kind of talk to us about um about what it's like doing what you do? Right. It, it's it's good for me. I, I enjoy what I do. Being able to work with these guys, I'm you know, I'm very proud to you know partner with the mine workers because I know they've got a an important job fighting for their for their guys. But there's only so much they can do as you know union members. Uh, a lot of the stuff in you involves courts, uh, especially when these uh, uh, men and women get hurt down in the mines. Uh, mines are, you know, uh, very, you know, dangerous places uh, under the best conditions. A lot can go wrong um, and people get hurt, uh, whether that's just typical, you know, a back injury uh, or, you know, rock falls, uh, you know, it's, uh, or, you know, dust inhalation uh, causing black lung. So, um, you know, there's just so many ways people can get hurt down there, and it's important these, you know, the miners have an advocate in the court system to make sure that they're taken care of because, some, you know, many of these injuries are, you know, catastrophic and life-changing, and they need to make sure that, you know, that their rights are, you know, fully protected because, you know, the company's going to have an attorney for them. <laughs> so right. it's really important for the, uh, the injured worker to have an attorney on their side as well. Absolutely. That yeah, I think that's incredibly important. Um, you know, one of the one of the reasons that um, one of the reasons that unions are so important is because of the kind of power imbalance uh, that is inherent between the employer and the employee uh, relationship. And so, having a union and collective bargaining um, that can you know that obviously increases the leverage uh, that that workers have, and it makes them able to um, you know it makes them able to afford. Uh, afford things like attorneys where they wouldn't normally be able to. Uh, so, uh, Jack, if you've got time, could you stay on the line for another segment? Sure, glad to. Okay. All right. Uh, so we're going to be talking some more to uh, Jack Jacobs about uh, you know his work for the United Mine Workers uh, here in Alabama. Stay tuned. This is the Valley Labor Report. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. 
When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time, but the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtandj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. People across Alabama are hurting. Elected leaders have bailed out corporations while sending only a one-time cash payment to working families despite record unemployment and a public health crisis. Hometown Action is fighting for working people across Alabama to build inclusive and sustainable small town and rural communities. Hometown Action demands that Congress pass a people's bailout that expands health care, sends cash payments to families, and invests in green jobs to restart the economy. Now is the time to act. Learn more at www.hometownaction.org. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time, but the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtandj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Have an Amazon Echo? Just say, Alexa, play WVNN. And you'll always have the only radio station of relevance in Alabama. WVNN. WVNN. A long-haired preacher's come out every night. I try to tell you what's wrong and what's right. But when asked about something to eat, uh, they will answer in voices of sweet. You will eat, you will eat by and by, in that glorious land in the sky, way up high, work and pray, live on hay. All right, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, holding down the fort by myself this morning. Uh, David is out fighting for the working people of Alabama, so thank you for that. Brother David, wishing you safe travels. On the line, we have Jack Jacobs. He is a partner uh, at the law firm Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs. They represent, uh, or or, uh, uh, Jack represents the United Mine Workers of America, uh, District 20, uh, in the southeastern region, mostly in Alabama. <clears throat> He's also a personal injury, uh, personal injury attorney. So I- even if you're not a United Mine Worker, uh, you know you can you can call his number. Uh, Jack, what's the number that they can call? Yeah, you can call office number two zero five three two two twenty three thirty three. 
uh, glad to help uh, anybody. We do represent people all over the state of Alabama, and uh, we do a lot of work for coal miners, but other other union members, other workers too. So it's uh, a variety of, of folks. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Uh, so can you t- tell me a little bit about what, what brought you into uh, kind of that line of work? Um, you know, uh, what made you want to like be a lawyer and then be like a personal injury attorney for, uh, you know, for, for workers and, and, and for unions and, and things like that? You know, um, I've always, you know, been a big supporter of the union cause. Uh, you know, when I, my first job I had at a high school, I went, uh, they were doing the orientation, and my first question to ask them was, well, how do I join the union? So it's uh, it's always been something I've, I've felt passionately about. Um, so going through law school, learning more about, you know, union representation and how to, you know, do that type of work. And I was just fortunate enough to uh, start working with the, my partner, Sam Maples, who did a lot of work with the... Uh, mine workers uh, in the past and uh, we just uh, over the years have just built a really good relationship with the uh, with the men and women of the union and so uh, we're you know we're knowledgeable that area we we know how this stuff works and we know how the mines work and so it's kind of just built on our experience and uh, our reputation I guess and you're from Alabama Uh, yes okay well, that's fantastic. I, you know, I really appreciate uh, the work that um, the work that you do, uh, uh, you know, for uh, for the working people of Alabama and for the mine workers in Alabama. Uh, I'm sure they do. Uh, it, it's, re- you know, like you were talking about, it's really important that uh, that the workers have competent advocacy because obviously the company is going to. <laughs> so. Um, earlier Absolutely. in the program, I was talking about uh, I was talking about. Um, wage theft with uh, w- with somebody who's running for city council here in Huntsville, and um, you know I'm sure that you know that that wage theft accounts for more dollars stolen from people in America than all property crime combined, and yet there are almost no resources devoted to fighting um, wage theft proactively. Uh, there are there are virtually no uh, resources devoted to fighting it proactively. Um, and even and, and still very very little, uh, even fighting it when workers know that they can claim it for themselves. Um, do you have any experience uh, in 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 that kind of thing? I know that you know wage theft is something that generally kind of happens more in those are like lower wage uh, service industry jobs. Obviously, that's not going to be happening near not going to be happening nearly as much in union contexts. But um, do you have you know do you have any kind of thoughts on that and like what it would take to set up a system that can effectively fight wage theft proactively? Those are good questions. I think, you know, it starts with you making sure you're keeping track of your time and, and you know, knowing what it is that you're supposed to be con- compensated for. You know, when you start working for the employer, you know, putting on that protective equipment, uh, getting dressed, I mean, you know, in the plant, you know, making sure, sh- you know, that's, you know, that's all compensable employment. So, um, you know, it starts with a little knowledge on the employee. But, you know, we don't, I don't think that those employees necessarily have a good, uh, understanding of that, mm. um, and so and the employers are, are certainly certainly okay with uh, right. you know taking advantage of the ignorance of the em- employee. Right. They, um, um, they a lot often, of times lawyers do get involved. Right. They often don't under they don't the, the employees don't really have a good, good understanding of their rights, and then further um, 
they often don't have a good standing to, <laughs> you know, even if they did understand the rights that they have theoretically. Um, like John mentioned, we're an at-will employment state, and so uh, it can be very difficult for workers to exercise the rights that they do have, um, you know, on paper. So right, I think, and that's why I think you know, union membership is so important. You know, having you know, getting outside the out will where you have rights where they can't just terminate you right. for exercising you know your legal rights. They have to go through you know, they just can't openly retaliate like that. So right, um, I think union membership is very critical. Um, and, and we would like to see more of it in Alabama. Certainly, uh, for sure. Certainly, and it, and and you know that is. I mean, if there if union membership could only get you a just cause firing clause in your contract, you know, that would be worth it because otherwise you live in a regime where you are in, you know, we as Americans, we, we like to consider ourselves like freedom loving people. We hate authority. We hate the government. We hate people telling us what to do, but the majority of our waking lives we spend under the thumb of an employer who can, who can at any moment just let us go and make us like, homeless and poor and uh you know for for no any reason or no reason at all under the employment regime that we have in alabama but if you have a union job and you put and you're able to get secure a just cause firing clause in your contract then they have to have just cause (laughs) to get rid of you and i think that's a reasonable thing for um employers to have to, to, to show to uh, to justify putting somebody out on the street um, and and that's not something that, that is not something that you're going to get without a union and uh, you know you mentioned wanting to see more of that in Alabama and Alabama used to have the highest union density in the United States in uh, in the 40s but um, you know there, there's obviously a a an organized assault on organized labor uh, by politicians and by oligarchs and and executives and, and, and things like that in Alabama and so we're down to um, you know w- we definitely have a lower than the national average but we still have the highest in the southeast which isn't you know it, it's not nothing. No, it, it's not. But you're right. They, you know, the companies you know push against this hard. And a few years ago, actually, Bob Murray bought one of the large coal mines in Alabama in Jefferson County. You know, and, and he pledged, you know, at that time that he was going to break the union there. Um, and, and thankfully, that you know, they're still going strong. They've got some good, young, new leadership. I'm very excited to see them involved. Um, I think, you know, young leadership is key to have, you know, you know, transferring that knowledge to the to the younger guys and, mm-hmm. and getting making sure that they understand the importance of the union. Right. Because it, it, it's about wages. It's about, you know, making sure you're getting paid for what you do. It's about making... Uh, Sorry, and, and, and but safety is so important. You know, people get hurt on the job, and they're not getting their rights. You know, they're not getting their workers' comp. They're not getting taken care of. Right. And the unions play a very important role in that. And, uh, so yeah, you mentioned the importance of, of transitioning leadership to kind of the younger generation, and I'm not sure if you've been able to uh, listen to our interviews with the um, with the machinist union local S6 who. Uh, wrapped up their strike successfully a few weeks ago against uh, General Dynamics, Bath Ironworks, 
And uh, that was one of the things that they remarked on. I, I talked to uh, an older brother who'd been a member of that local for 46 years before it was affiliated with the machinist union, actually. And, um, and he talked about how inspired he was to see the young people leading the charge on this. And, um, you know, Max Alvarez, uh, he is the host of the Working People's Podcast. He did an interview with one of those young leaders, uh, Jamie Belfleur. And, um, you know, she talked about how important it was for young people to be involved and how proud she was of the other young people in her union that were involved in, uh, you know, I mean, leading this strike. They were leading demonstrations and, and making speeches and, and leading, uh, you know, ringing bells and laying the hammers, the hammer down in, uh, in, in demonstrations during their lunch break, impromptu demonstrations during their lunch breaks with hundreds of people. Um, you know, so that's a really inspiring story, that, one that you don't hear often, uh, you know, the largest private sector strike in America in 2020 was successful. They got everything that they were asking for and more, and it happened with uh, you know with youth leadership, and uh, and and so that's something that I'm that I'm 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 I, I I'm really heartened by, and uh, and I definitely need to talk to you sometime off the air about getting some of those. Uh, new young leaders from the United Mine Workers down south um, on the program to talk about what they're doing. Sounds like they, they've got they've got a kind of similar dynamic there. It is. I mean, you see a lot of the older miners retiring just as, they're, you know, um, these, I guess, the tail end of the baby boom kind of, you know, working their way out of the mines. And so you see these young guys come up, but they haven't experienced um, a lot of them you know, the hardship, you know, the, the fights in the 70s, like you're talking about in Harlan, and they had the fights here, mm-hmm. um, and, and they just don't know. Right. And so you, you need people, young people coming in and saying, and recognizing how important the union is. Um, you know, these, these benefits and wages just didn't happen just because the company's benevolent. I mean, right. <laughs> that's not the way it works. Yeah, that's, you know, that's something that, like, I, I harp on, seems like almost every week, but um, the rights, the few rights and freedoms that we have in and from the workplace in America, um, people, you know, like you said, people take them for granted because this is the way the world is. People think, or people just kind of assume that, or they don't really think, um, but, but the kind of base assumption is that this is the way that it's always been, this is the way that, that it's always going to be, and this is just the natural order of things. And that is so far from the truth. The, the few rights and freedoms that we have in and from the workplace took movements of millions of working people across the country willing to put their lives and livelihoods on the line, on the picket line, and, and, and it took people dying, like people were murdered for the rights that we have today. And, um, and, and you know, like that's one of the things that we want to do is educate people about that and educate people about the way that you defend these rights is not by, you know, just going along with the status quo or not doing anything and just assuming that it's going to be that way in the future. The way that you protect these rights and the way that you get more rights because you deserve to have more than you do now. The way that you get more rights is by organizing with your brothers and sisters on the job and fighting for it. It's not going to happen. I think that's a... No, what were you saying? Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly right. Uh, Wayne Flint has got some really good histories in some of his books about union activity in Alabama. If you ever get a chance to read those. And uh, just, to, you know, how violently um, you know, the company owners fought with with 
the government's help. You know, mm-hmm. National Guard called in to break in strikes, and you know, basically have you know shootouts with the with the union members. Yeah. Uh, and really, it took until Roosevelt came to power or got elected, I guess, um, to, to put a stop to that. And that really is where you see the huge spike in, in uh, union membership in Alabama was after Roosevelt came in and you know put a put a stop to the strike breaking from the government. Right. Right. Um, we're coming up on a break. We've only got one more segment. Do you do you have time to stay on the line and, and, and chat with me uh, for the last segment here? Sure. Okay. Glad to. All right. Uh, so we are talking to Jack Jacobs. He's an uh, he's an attorney, a partner at uh, Maples Tucker and Jacobs, representing working people uh, in the southeast in the state of Alabama. Uh, stay tuned. We've got one more segment. This is the Valley Labor Report. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time, but the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtandj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. People across Alabama are hurting. Elected leaders have bailed out corporations while sending only a one-time cash payment to working families despite record unemployment and a public health crisis. Hometown Action is fighting for working people across Alabama to build inclusive and sustainable small town and rural communities. Hometown Action demands that Congress pass a people's bailout that expands health care, sends cash payments to families, and invests in green jobs to restart the economy. Now is the time to act. Learn more at www.hometownaction.org. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE Local 1858, believes all workers are entitled to fairness, dignity, and respect. AFGE also knows that the best way to guarantee proper treatment is for workers to stand together, united, looking out for each other. In AFGE, we fight for workers every day to ensure a workplace that is safe and free from harassment. If you're a federal employee and want to be a part of this union to protect yourself and your fellow workers, call 256 876-4880. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time, but the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtandj.com. 
No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. WVNN. Depend on it. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, holding down the fort myself. Today on the line, we've got Jack Jacobs. He is a partner at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs, a law firm representing the United Mine Workers of America, District 20. It's in the southeastern United States and Alabama. Uh, they also represent other workers uh, in personal injury or, you know, um, cases like that that come up on the job. Uh, they're a sponsor of the show. So if you're having problems in your workplace, uh, then you should give them a call. They represent workers all over the state of Alabama. And uh, Jack, where, where's the best, uh, best, best place that they can reach you at? Uh, you can either call us. Uh, we have a toll-free number at 855-617-9333. Or you can email us uh, info at uh, info at mtnj.com. All right. Uh, Either way, we can get back to you and and help you out. What is the the dynamic um, when a worker is not represented by a union and they've got like a question? um, You know, I'm assuming that you've got some kind of special relationship with the United Mine Workers and so, uh, you know, there's some kind of direct line there. But what what if there's a worker up here in North Alabama that is having issues on the job, or maybe they were injured, or maybe they're worried about um, their rights being violated on the job, uh, and they wanted to call you. Like, what does that look like? Uh, is there like, do you have like a? Uh, is the first consultation free, or or like what kind of what would that process look like? Look like if somebody were to give you a call from up here? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we don't charge the initial consultation, um, and really, you know, most of the stuff we do is. Um, we charge, you know, based on whatever money we're able to help the, the, the worker recover, I guess. But, um, you know, a lot of the stuff now with COVID is, you know, done remotely anyway. So a lot of times we're able to do stuff over the phone, uh, communicate. Um, but if we need to, you know, meet people uh, around the state, we do that as well. So it's just, uh, but, you know, in, in these times, it, traveling is not maybe the best idea. So we just, uh, trying to accommodate and use different uh, tools like Zoom or, you know, just simple phone calls just to help these people and give them the advice they need and and try and, you know, make sure they do have their rights protected. Fantastic. Uh, And we appreciate that here on the Valley Labor Report. Um, When we were, uh, before the break, we were talking about kind of... um, like how people actually got these rights, and you talked about uh, Wayne Flint has some some interesting books about like that that, that kind of illustrate just how bloody um, labor organizing in Alabama was. How there were shootouts between the National Guard and the mine workers, um, and uh, and you know like people, it's amazing that something like that can happen, and like people just have no idea about it. Um, a, another book that I'm constantly recommended, that I'm really excited to finally start reading, hope, hoping to start reading that here in the next couple of months, is uh, Hammer and Ho, uh, which is by Dr. Robin Kelly, about uh, black communist party organizing in Depression-era Alabama. Uh, there, there were like black sharecroppers that, that started to organize um, with, uh, you know, it was incidentally with the communist party, and um, they were able to win a lot 
which you would not imagine, uh, you know, <laughs> like a, a black communist party in Alabama being successful, but it was. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and actually, um, Lee Baines third, he is a, uh, a Southern rock artist from Birmingham, the Birmingham area, Lee Baines third, and the Glory Fires. Uh, their next album, I've been talking to him, their next album is going to be about labor organizing in Depression-era Alabama. Uh, so I'm real, you know, they're, they're, I've got a whole lot, of, whole lot of content that I'm going to be taking in about that period in Alabama. Um, but, uh, d- you know, presumably you've read some of that stuff that, that Flint has put out. Um, can, you talk, can you talk a little bit about some of that? Yeah, I think one thing that's always struck me was the fact that uh, the mine workers in Alabama have always been integrated. Um, they've been active in the state since uh, you know before the 1900s, um, and they always had uh, black membership in a, in a very you know segregated Alabama. Yeah, um, you know just because that was the you know was the easy way for the um, companies to find wages, just segregate the mines and keep you know. Um, you know, keep one race out of the other and just to drive down wages and, and the mine workers, you know, <laughs> wouldn't do it. So and that that's worked to the benefit. Uh, and I think that's, you know, a good thing, but they've, it's always been, uh, I say always, you know, back then, you know, it would be a, um, racist cry against the union that they were integrated and try and, you know, um, fight, fight them on that uh, front as well. Right. And that's, that is that was not common in the nineteen in the early nineteen hundreds to have integrated unions. Integrated unions did not start becoming the norm until the CIO surge of maybe the twenties and thirties um, and forties. Um, and and so you know the fact that that Alabama's mine workers were integrated um, that far back really kind of speaks to the forward thinkingness of that union. And 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 just to kind of illustrate how not the norm that was, there's a James Baldwin quote about how um, you know uh, white unions don't fight for us um, white uh, uh, you know white institutions don't fight for us like why should we fight you know why should we fight for them and and, and, and you know like that was a that was a big issue in in the black community uh, back then is that they were not allowed in the white unions uh, they they had to have their own unions and of course when you've got a white union going out on strike why would the black union go out on strike with them? And if the black union doesn't go out on strike, then, uh, well, the, the white union strike is not going to be as successful, and it's a way to divide up the workers and help the uh, and, and and help the boss. And and you know they still do that to a certain extent today. We can see that with the Smithfield um, chicken chicken plant in uh, in North Carolina. On Means TV, they've got a good documentary called Union Time about that organ- organizing drive there and how they, they tried to use uh, racism to, um, you know, put a wedge between the black workers and the Hispanic workers and the white workers so that they wouldn't come together. And they were, fortunately, they were able to fight that and come together and, and win a union and, and win a good contract. But um, that, that is really amazing about the mine workers in Alabama. That, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, Speaks to the you know the, the the solidarity of the union and just their their desire to make sure that everyone you know moves forward together on those things. Absolutely. So and it's still you know the mine workers still still are have a very large African American uh, component, which is not the same uh, for most uh, the large or the rest of the country really. Right. Right. 
Uh, we've been talking to Jack Jacobs. He's a partner at the uh, Maples Tucker and Jacobs uh, law firm, and um, and he's given me a lot of he's given me a lot of stuff uh, that, that that I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look into. And 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 Jack, if it's all right with you, I'll be talking to you offline about um, maybe getting in touch with some of the younger leadership of the United Mine Workers in Alabama, and gonna be trying to get in touch with. Um, maybe Wayne Flint to um, to maybe get him on the show and talk about some of this stuff because I think that uh, that sounds fascinating and, it, and it's just in our you know that that's right right down our alley uh, here on the Valley Labor Report uh, so Jack thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time and, and keeping me company today I appreciate it well thank you I've enjoyed it all right uh, folks this has been the Valley Labor Report you can find us on the internet we'll see you next week <laughs>